Jesus, the one who saves. Jesus, the one who delivers. Jesus, the one who sets free. Jesus, son of the most high God. And what did Jesus do? Jesus commanded the demons to come out of the man. Come out. The Bible says we use the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the power. We don't all use our own name. It's not our own ability. So we say in the name of Jesus. But of course, Jesus didn't have to use his own name. He just says, come out. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled, Go Tell by Lily So. And was based on Luke 8, 26-33, and 38-39. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. This story in Luke chapter 8 took place in a predominantly Gentile population. So it's really interesting because here Jesus came to actually tell the Jews that, hey, the Messiah has come. But, you know, there was resistance and different things, so we're not going to go into that today. But here in this story... It was a predominantly Gentile population. So thank you, Ezekiel, who read from the passage just now. This demon-possessed man was violent. So his family, his, probably the villagers that live in a place that did not have a choice, but they had to bind his hands and tie up his feet with chains, not just kind of with a string and all that, but when somebody is being tied with chains, you can tell it is a serious situation. Because he was so strong, the Bible tells us that he broke the chains. When a person is demon-possessed or bound by something supernatural, the strength in them is not natural. That's why he was able to just break off the chains from his hands, from his feet. Verse 27 tells us that a terrible condition of the man had existed for a long time. He was naked and he hadn't lived in a house for a long time. Can you imagine you have a home, but you are forced to live somewhere else? You have a warm home, you have a food on the table, but you cannot live in the house. He was driven by the demons. Um, it would seize him and drive him into solitary places. Now, to live among the tombs. So, I, every Sunday, or even when I come to the office, I would drive uh, by a, a road that on the left, there is a cemetery, you know, along Hadley. Some of you are familiar with the place. The cemeteries, the tomb areas in those days are not like these beautifully manicured lawns of the cemeteries that you see in America. Wilderness. Places that people don't want to go to. They just bury the dead. Maybe they might go there, but it was just a horrible place. Solitary. No one goes to cemeteries except for to bury the dead or something, and among the tombs. So he was driven by the demons, seized by, by the demon to, to, to live in these solitary places. Now, what was the intention of the demons? It was to torture him mentally, 
physically in every way and to drive him to hopelessness. Have any of you ever felt hopeless? It is a horrible feeling, trust me. Alienated from other people, totally alienated, lonely, forsaken, helpless. Maybe his family didn't want to forsake him, but they don't know what to do because he was so violent, he was so strong. They didn't know what to do with him. They were at a loss, so they left him in the, in the wilderness. But you know, from my experience with, well, praise God, I've never been demon-possessed, but from my experience in ministry with people who have been demon-possessed before, or even people who have been mentally unsound, they are not demon-possessed or mentally unsound for 24 hours a day. There will be some lucid moments, there will be some times when he, they're normal and the demons are not torturing them or attacking them. Or if you, if you talk to some people who are mentally, like maybe schizophrenic or bipolar or whatever kind of mental illness, there are some moments they're totally just themselves and they can tell you, I feel so bad, I'm struggling, I, I don't know what to do or something. So just imagine this demon-possessed man. When he is in the right mind and the demons are not torturing him, can you feel how lonely he, he, he was? Totally alienated. He couldn't be with other people. He wanted to be with his family, maybe with his children, with his wife, but he just couldn't. Forsaken, helpless, lonely, totally under the control of the demons. It's like a no-hope situation, you know? Has any of you ever felt like totally hopeless and helpless? A know of people who are wallowing in this, in this abyss, in this pit of helplessness and hopelessness? There's so many people out there, or maybe some of us who have experienced this, or maybe going through some struggles. There are so many people out there who are bound in a downward, a downward spiral, and they cannot do, they are unable to do anything to break out of this vicious cycle. It could be abuse, different kinds of abuse in a family, or it could be drugs, alcohol, sex addiction, fears, anxieties, worries, or there are some people who have dabbled in the supernatural. You know, I've talked to some students in the past, they said, oh, we, I played some tarot cards or whatever. Today, my sermon is not going that direction, so I'm not going to belabor the point here. But just dabbling in, in the supernatural, just thinking that I just need an answer to my life. I'm just feeling empty. I'm feeling hopeless. I, I need to, I have some decisions to make. I don't know where to turn. And then I turn on the internet. I saw this, uh, this invitation to play some tarot cards so that I, they can read my future or whatever. It's very enticing. So, dabbling and supernatural, etc. you know what? You think you are in control. But actually, soon, you begin to realize that the thing is controlling you. And sometimes when you realize it, it's a little bit late, or you are really needing a lot of help. So, here was this man, totally alienated, lonely, forsaken, helpless, under the control of the demons. It was horrible. And verse 28 tells us, the demons recognize who Jesus is. What did the demons say? Jesus, son of the most high God. Wow. 
You know, the demons know who Jesus is. The Bible says every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, what are you doing with us? Son of the Most High God. Now for the author Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's main intention is to show his readers who Jesus is. He was wanting the Gentiles to know that Jesus, the Messiah, has not just come for the Jews. He has come for the world. He's come for the Gentiles. He's come for every broken person, every lost person. So Luke wanted the, the, the readers to know who Jesus is. Jesus, the one who saves. Jesus, the one who delivers. Jesus, the one who sets free. So that's why he included this phrase intentionally. Jesus, son of the most high God. And what did Jesus do? Jesus commanded the demons to come out of the man. Come out! You know, uh, coming from a, a background that is Pentecostal, and uh, sometimes when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name, and here we do that too. And sometimes when people are under bondage or maybe demon-possessed or something like that, the Bible says we use the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has the power. We don't use our own name. It's not our own ability. So we say, in the name of Jesus. But of course, Jesus didn't have to use his own name. He just says, come out. And then you guys heard the story in the chapter. Violent, naked, lived among the tombs. I like us to visually picture this in our mind. So you, we, we picture this, that he was totally demon-possessed and bound and helpless and, and violent and naked and all that. Totally pathetic and sad situation. Very desperate. So now visually picture this. Jesus delivers him. After deliverance, he was sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, no longer naked, totally clothed, and in his right mind. So what is the opposite? He was totally out of his mind. He was totally not in his right mind. But now he's calm, he's quiet, he's totally clothed, quietly sitting at the feet of Jesus, in his right mind. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it so beautiful? He knew the suffering he went through. But now he's totally transformed. He has been given new life. New life. When he thought everything was desperate, totally hopeless. I will never see the light, light of day again. I will never be set free. I will never know what it means to be with my family again. How can I be free? Totally helpless. But now, it is, the impossible has been made possible. He was so grateful to Jesus for what Jesus did for him. He begged Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. Jesus, where are you going next? Which, which town are you going to? Which village are you going to? Where are you going? I'll follow you. I'm going to give my life to you. You saved me. You saved me. I'm going to follow you. Tell me where are you going. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. He begged Jesus. That's what the, the uh, scripture said. Jesus' answer was not what the man expected. Jesus told him, no, 
Don't follow me. Return home. Go back to where you live. Go back to where you came from. Go back to your community and tell of all that God has done for you. Tell of all, everything that God has done for you today. Don't follow me. Go back and tell. So through this passage, through what Jesus just said, it is very obvious that Jesus told him that our relationship, now you've found truth, you've been delivered, you've found God. Our relationship with Christ is not a private decision. Our relationship with God is not just a personal matter between just me and God. Yeah, I'm a Christian, it's, you know, it's between me and God. Jesus told the man, go tell, go tell. Open your mouth and tell so that others will know who I am. Even the demons know. Jesus, son of the most high God. So Jesus says, go tell. Open your mouth so that others will know what I've done for you. There was work for this man to do. Why did Jesus tell the man to go tell? Because it is a matter of where a person spends eternity. The life we live right now is a transit. It is not an end in itself. It is not like when you close your eyes at night and you go to sleep and then it's over. Or when you die, you breathe the last breath, it's over. It is a transit. It is not the end. The former I.H. Marshall, a British theologian, he said, Conversion brings the responsibility to evangelize. Conversion brings the responsibility to evangelize. So the man obeyed. Verse 39 tells us he went all over town, all over his village. He went back to his community. He went back to where he came from. And he went all over town, and that probably included family, relatives, friends, neighbors. And he told of how much. Jesus said, go back and tell how much God has done for you. It's very interesting. Sometimes I think grammatically, uh, is it correct? Probably it is. Tell of how much. Usually we think of tell of what God has done for you. But this is how much. So when you think of how much, there is an intensity. So this how much brings to my mind so much. I've seen parents who talk to little kids and their children. Do you, how much do you love mommy? How much do you love me? Is it like this? Or how much does mommy love you? So, so much? So much? Or so much, so much. It's like you can't contain, right? So I don't know if you've ever done that with your kids and just kind of play around with them. So much. So this tell of how much God has done for you makes me think of so much. God has done so much for you. So we visualize the man who was broken and lost and desperate and hopeless in the tombs, in the wilderness. And then he right now in his right mind, seated at the feet of Jesus, totally clothed, totally in his right mind. So much. So go tell. So the man obeyed. He went all over town, told everyone how much, so much Jesus had done for him. Now, there are three things to note in verse 39. In verse 39, first, he went. 
That is an action verb. He went. He didn't stay quiet. He opened his mouth to share. He wasn't shy. He wasn't self-conscious. He wasn't concerned about what people think of him. Or maybe my friends are going to mock me. Or my family, you know, will they accept this? And sometimes we hesitate because we don't know if our family is going to accept the Lord. Are they going to laugh at us? My colleagues, my friends, my neighbors, whatever. So, but he didn't think so much. When Jesus simply told him, go tell. He said, okay, I'm going to obey. He went all over town and told how much Jesus had done for him. He didn't go home, get busy living in his own life, got a job and say, hey, I better, I better climb the corporate ladder, you know, just make more comfortable money for my children, my family, whatever, and just focus on his job, his career, whatever. He went all over town. Second, he told another action verb. He told. He went and he told. He didn't stay quiet. This man had come to know the true God. And he went all over town to share the hope of Jesus Christ, to share eternal life because he has now gotten eternal life. He has now found peace and hope. And he went to tell. I want others to have it too. You know, we, I want to encourage all of us. I think, I don't know if you ever have friends or people that you know that when they have a good thing, they decided, I'm going to hide it. I don't want people to share. I don't want to share it with anyone, you know, so that I can have it all to myself. Or when you have a good thing, then you don't want people to know about it because you're jealous. You're jealous that you just want to have the good thing, but you don't want others to have it. I don't know. It sounds kind of warped, right? But there are people like that. But here, Jesus says, you found a good thing. You found a pearl of great price. Now go tell. Go share with everyone around you. You know, uh, Chris, sometimes Christmas, there is a Christmas musical. Go tell it on the mountains. So you go tell it on the mountains, over the valley, over the hills. Go tell. Shout it out that Jesus is the Messiah. So he went to tell. Now this is not like a good... Uh, illustration with equal significance, but it's something like that. We can get a glimpse of it. If in town you found a you found a, a new restaurant and then you went to try it, you went to eat at the place and you discovered, oh my gosh, the food is so good and it's so good. What do you do? You say the food is so good and then you just keep quiet. No, you go home. Maybe you talk to your friends. You're at, at work with your colleagues and they said, oh my gosh, have you tried that so and so restaurant? No, you mean, you mean there's a new restaurant in town? Oh, yeah, we went to try it. I was so tired of all these restaurants in our little town. I've, I've tried them all, but I went to this new one. Oh, my gosh, the food is so good. You have to try it. Oh, my God, try this one. I had this, I had this. You're full of enthusiasm. Oh, it was coming up from your mouth. You're, you're, oh, you're so good. Go try it. You found a good thing. You want to share it. But that's just a restaurant. Can you imagine? You found the Messiah. You found the Savior. You found eternal life. The Lord wants us to go tell. Third, what did he tell? He told of God's goodness. He told of God's love. The passage tells us he, he was driven to solitary places. What does that mean? Solitary places means there was no one there. There are no other people. 
And nobody dared probably to be near him because he was violent, he was naked, he was abnormal, lonely. And he said, oh my gosh, this is what God did for me. He told of God's goodness and love. Go tell. This is the responsibility of every believer, of you and I, to go tell. I know of this retired teacher in Singapore. She would share the gospel with her students. She would intentionally look out for if a student was down, if a student, student didn't look so well or uh, not coping well. Sometimes some students may come and talk to you and tell you that their brokenness and life story, but some students don't. They just come, do their work. Oh, yeah, I'm good and all that. But they're hurting. But somehow you can see it. So this teacher was intentionally noticing if a student was down or not coping well and all that, and she would, she would show them extra care, extra love, and she would, how are you doing? And, and just kind of pat them on the shoulder or whatever. She would, she would just do, or maybe do extra lessons with the students uh, to help them with their challenges at school. And she would find opportunities outside of school hours, or maybe outside of school premises, maybe walking along the street or whatever, and to share the love of Jesus with these students. She was very, she was very honest with her, with her actions. She, she showed the love of Jesus. With her words, she spoke of the love of Jesus. And, uh, and she brought many of these students to the Lord. And then she brought them to church. And how do I know this? It was because as a pastor in the church, sometimes I talk to the youth, I talk to the young people, the college students, or maybe the young adults. It's, hey, hi, how are you? And all that. And as we're chatting and all that. So how did you come to know Jesus? Or how did you come to church? And I was surprised that quite a few of them would tell me, oh, Miss Wong. You know, when you're elementary, high school, or whatever, uh, here, maybe in American culture, you call them by name, but, but in Singapore, being an Asian culture, you call them by Mr. Tan, Miss Wong. Oh, Miss Wong brought me. Uh, Miss Wong. And then they, they would say, I was like so touched, so pleasantly surprised. This sweet, unassuming lady in our church, quiet, sweet, not the teacher, like, oh, oh, hi, hi. She's not the cut. She was sweet. I never knew she was like, oh my gosh, she, she, had, a, she had a ministry to her kids, to the students in a school. Miss Wong cared for them, shared the gospel with them. When Jesus was on earth, he didn't ask the Jews and the Gentiles to come to the synagogue. Come. It's like, oh, you're broken, you're lost. Come to church. Oh, you're broken, you're lost. Come. That is a good thing. Don't stop doing that. But all I'm saying is that Jesus didn't tell the people to come. He traveled from town to town. He traveled from village to village. He went around healing the sick, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come through him. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful thing. He went around everywhere proclaiming the good news of hope of deliverance, of eternal life. Weren't we once crippled, blind, lame? Maybe not physically, but definitely spiritually. Some stories are more dramatic than others, but we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all lost, 
And we all came to experience and taste of the goodness of Jesus. As I close, I'd like to share the story of a little boy who had been through a lot of trauma and loss in his life. One night, he had a terrible nightmare, and he cried out in his sleep. Ah! He was crying out. So his mom, like, totally ran to his bedroom and ran to his bedside and put her, her arms around this little boy and reassured him that he was safe. And when she got up to leave, her young son cried out, Don't leave me, mom! I'm afraid! And the mom answered, It's okay, son. It's okay. You're safe. Jesus is with you. And the boy said, I know, but I need someone with skin on. <laughs> Friends, we are the skin that people, people are looking for. People need to know how Jesus looks like. With our natural eyes, majority of us as believers have not really seen Jesus face to face. I've heard of stories people when, when, when Jesus has appeared to people. But majority of us have not seen the face of Jesus. So how will somebody come to know how much Jesus has done for us, or how much Jesus wants to do for them, and the, and, the, and, the hope, and the hope and the new life and the eternal life that Jesus wants to give to them? Through us, who are Christ followers, we are the face of Jesus. When I was in Bible school, there was a book. I had a professor that was very impactful on my life. He was amazing. He was a theology professor, and he wrote a book called Fully Human. I hope I got the, I hope I got the title right. It's been so many years. <laughs> I know I still look young. Thank you. <laughs> fully human or something like that. So, so it's like to be fully human is to go back to the original state before the fallen, before the fallen state. When, when God created us in the, in the Garden of uh, Eden, we were created human, but in his likeness, perfect. So to be fully human is to go back to the image of Christ, of God. We are the people that, we, we, we people need us. We are the skin that people are looking for. Let's go tell. Let's go tell of the goodness of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.